Now, we've often talked on this show about the incredible toll that the opioid crisis has had uh, on many people, and in particular, overdose deaths on those who've been left behind. We spoke to a medicine hat mom last month who has now devoted herself to trying to provide the kinds of supports in her community that she feels may have helped save her son's life. We met an Edmonton mom who patrols the streets nightly in her town, knowing that her son is still out there and still using. The response to the loss of a child can take many, many forms. And in the case of author Tara McGuire, who lost her son to an overdose at age 21 in 2015, it is in the form of a book called Holden After and Before. It is described as a love letter to a young life lost and the journey both before and after. And Tara McGuire joins me now from Vancouver. Thank you so much for your time. Ben, how are you? I'm well, and thanks thanks for taking the time to speak with us tonight. It's it's um it's such a deeply I mean such clearly such a deeply personal book that you've written. Um, what was your how did you decide that a book was the right way to try to understand and then share this story? I guess it's because I am a writer, and um, in times of all kinds of different stresses in my life, I've always turned to writing. So it just seemed like the way to go. I I didn't really intend to write a book when I first started writing. You know, I was journaling and writing some poems and paragraphs, and it just sort of spiraled from there. I started writing probably five or six years ago, and today is book launch day. Well, congratulations on the book launch. And it's it must be, how does it feel to have completed something that that was not just a journey, but not, not just about writing something, but really about a whole, I would imagine a whole process of just trying to understand and comprehend what had happened and, and also learn more about, uh, about your son. Yeah, it feels like a lot. <laughs> yeah. it, feels, it feels like a lot. Um, you know, I've gained an incredible education along the way in terms of my knowledge it, it, as in a, in, about writing as a whole. And then in terms of what I've learned about my son, it's just, a continuing evolution of our relationship is how I like to look at it. Um, I've, I've learned a lot. I've talked to a lot of his friends and I've done a lot of research and um, I, I'm hoping that the book is something that people will read, whether they know someone who's struggling with substance use disorder or whether they're people who just like to read. I, I hope they find it to be a well-written book. I understand that you began to write it using his voice or from his point of view but decided to change it to, to make it broader. Um, what, what, made, what made you decide to, to change directions a little bit? Yeah, well, I, I guess I decided I wanted to write a book, but I didn't really know how to do that. And I think when you're facing something that's really enormous, the best thing to do is to just get started. And so that was my first thought, was just to write about Holden's life from his point of view, and I thought it would be a fiction novel. And then I realized through a lot of the workshops and things I was doing that I had a lot to say as well, and that the two stories could exist together. You went out and, and spoke to lots of people that he knew, knew well or didn't know that well, but people, you got a lot of perspectives about someone who you knew as a son. And I gather you learned some pretty amazing things about things you suspected, but you know, you only know it when you start to hear from other people. Yeah, well, I always, you know, every mother, I think, loves their children, and I love Holden, and I always thought he was a pretty cool guy, but when I started doing more in-depth research um, and talking to his friends and coworkers and girlfriends and just people that he had done graffiti with, 
everybody talked so fondly about Holden and how interesting he was, how loyal and kind he was. And they told me stories about ways that Holden had been there for them when they really needed a friend. And um, I also have his phone, so I was able to read his private messages. And, you know, it's one thing how we present ourselves publicly on social media or whatever, but when you read someone's private messages, I think you learn truly what's on their mind. And he was just so kind to people. He was really funny in his messages, really super creative. And um, yeah, it was nice to see that even sort of behind those closed doors, he was still a really, a really fantastic person. Did you gain any understanding as well about just what he was going through? Um, I, I know you've, you you said the word addiction isn't the right word because that's not really what it was. You said it was a substance use disorder for him. Did you gain yeah. perspective on, on what happened? Well, I think it's not unusual for young people to be confused. I think I've spent most of my life being confused. Yeah. And um, maybe you can relate. I don't know. But I, I think I found out that Holden struggled with his mental health, as so many of us do. And I certainly have struggled, especially through COVID, with a lot of depression. Mm. Holden struggled with those same things. But as a young person, it's really hard to know what to do to cope with them. And um, so, yeah, I, I definitely found out that he was struggling with his mental health. I mean, he had as a teenager, sort of cyclically, nothing really consistent. Um, he was, you know, well-employed. He had lots of friends. He was certainly not um, destitute. He had a house to live in, but um, you never know what's going on with a person inside their mind and inside their heart. And I think he was really struggling. And I think a lot of people, especially young people now, are really struggling with their mental health and there just really aren't enough supports to help people with the resources they need. Yeah, and we should talk about that. Um, one of the things that interested me too is that he was artistic, right? So obviously he had outlets for for the things that sort of places to go when he must have been feeling down. Oh yeah, Holden was a tremendous artist. He was primarily a graffiti artist. Or, um, he would do graffiti all over town, but he also was extremely musical. He could play music by ear even as a young kid. So he was always playing music. And um, he had definitely creative outlets, but, you know, the world is kind of a tough place now. And, and I think that mental illness is one of those things where it's difficult to ask for help. There's a lot of sort of ego associated with it in the last five years or so, but it's, it's tough to ask for help when you don't even really know as a young person what's going on. You just know you don't feel good or you know you know something's off and you witness other people's lives seem to be much easier and much happier and yours isn't but you don't quite know what to do about it you know every time i hear the name holden i always think of holden caulfield of course right you know, from, the, <laughs> sure. from the catcher in the rye and uh, yeah. he doesn't sound like that he didn't sound he didn't sound like someone who was that sort of it's, there was something he sounded like a different kind of holden how's that yeah. yeah, he's a different kind of Holden, all right. But I think they did have some similarities. You know, they're both very clever, both very sort of literary. And um, Holden wasn't named after the J.D. Salinger character. He was named mm -hmm. after his grandma. That was her maiden name. But, um, you know, I read The Catcher in the Rye a few times. I'm, I'm sure everybody's read it. And there, there were some similarities um, with the two characters. But I like to think of my Holden as a little bit lighter. 
Yes, a little bit more likable, I think, was, was the uh, was probably the. I so don't know. You, the, I like Holden Caulfield. <laughs> I did too. Yeah, I guess. I guess. Yes, I suppose I did. It goes back a while now. Um, yeah. So, so when you when you sat with the book and it was done, you, you what, what did you? How is it? You must have read through it before. What was it like to give it one last read before it sort of left and then went out into the into the public as it now has? Yeah, well, of course, I've read it many times. I've rewritten it many times. And actually, one of the most profound experiences was when I narrated the audiobook for Penguin Random House, and I got a chance to read the whole book out loud in a studio kind of like the one you're sitting in right now. And uh, it gave me a chance to almost listen to it with different ears in a way, because, you know, when you're writing something, it sounds different. And I just realized how much I'd been through over the years and how much I'd learned and um, how much empathy I have for, for Holden and for other people who are struggling perhaps with mental illness and substance use disorder. I mean, Holden's illness was sort of cyclical. There was a lot of time when he was great and he enjoyed his life and he had lots of friends and he felt good. And then there were times when he wasn't and the same kind of thing happens to me and maybe it happens with some of your listeners. And, and that became really apparent to me when I did read the book all the way through. The audiobook is out today too. It's 12 and a half hours of me talking. And it's, um, that was quite an experience to, to kind of think about other people listening to it in that way. Um, Tara, what would you like now that it's there, now that it's out there, of course, now everyone gets to read it as well. And I imagine that's always daunting. But what would you like people to, people to take away from it? Because it's, I mean, it's gotten great reviews already. Um, it must, you know, it's a very personal book, right? But it, but I, I imagine you would like readers to get something for themselves out of it too. Yeah, thank you. I appreciate you saying that. I think what I would like is for people to appreciate it as a well-written book. I'd like um, people to understand that when they think about about people who've died from opioid overdose, every single person has a very complex life and people who love them and a, a history and their own reasons for making the decisions that they have. And I think, you know, there's, there's been uh, this big discussion about ending the stigma, but what does that mean? You, you know, and how can we do it? And I think it's important to understand that if you have an idea of a person who's died of an opioid overdose as kind of some shady dude on the downtown east side. Yeah, that happens, but that's not the whole picture. There are people in all aspects of our society, clearly, um, that struggle with substance use disorder. And so maybe those images that we have aren't completely accurate. And just to maybe approach people that are struggling with their mental health with a little more compassion and some eye contact and some questions rather than judgments. That's something you must have learned too, as you went through this whole process of researching, and then the way you just—I mean, as you walk through day-to-day life, whether it be Vancouver or I'm in Victoria, obviously, I mean, addiction and, and substance use, I should say, is around you all the time, and it's—and it, it, I think it's—we're learning. I hope how to how yeah. to better better deal with it as as people, you know, not just society. I I hope we are, Ben. Like I was super judgy, you know, for a long time, and I I still am. I struggle with it, but I try to see every human being as someone who's just doing their best to live their life and to try and be the person that they want to be. And and it's not for us to say how others 
choose to live their lives. But um, the damage that's being done with the opioid crisis is just catastrophic. Over 30,000 people have died. And um, there's no, it's not slowing down. It's getting worse. And so I think that what we can look at is maybe some different approaches. What we're doing obviously isn't working. You know, maybe we can look at some different ways of helping people address mental health concerns and substance use disorder as more of a medical issue than a crime. And just try and, you know, when people present with the desire to change, hopefully we can have some treatments available for them at that time. It's just, it's just so difficult to access treatment and the care that's necessary. It's so often the story, and I gather it was the same for your son, that they, they were at a point where that when when they passed away, that they were actually kind of coming out, that they were recovering at that point, or at least it seemed that way. Um, yeah, I mean, that, that's something that I've heard from quite a few moms or parents. Yeah, you know, I've realized that addiction and, and substance use disorders is not a linear path. Like any mm-hmm. other disease, you know, my father-in-law struggled he had cancer and he would go into remission and then he would, it would come raging back and, and that kind of thing. And, and that's very similar to what substance use disorders are like. You know, there are different impacts and different factors that affect our responses as human beings. And I think we have to just kind of be in it for the long haul and not think that there's a magic ticket that, oh, this person is well now. You know, it can be a lifelong thing. People talk about being in recovery forever and I think that's really true and um, I think we just need to slow down a little bit and maybe just be a little kinder and hopefully supply more resources where they are needed because when I think about all the you know the pain that our family has suffered and the wider community and everyone's family members it's just it's a lot of people who are really suffering and it doesn't need to be that way. One of the things that I found um, so poignant about what you said is that when you speak to different parents who've lost kids, um, it, it feels like everything they do is about a continuation of the relationship, whether they're out, you know, trying to raise money for for a treatment center in their community or anything that they think could have helped. And it was interesting that you referred to this as a continuation of the relationship. And I, it's uh, it must have felt that way, which is probably um, a great thing, I would imagine, at least in, in given the circumstances. It's a great thing, and it's kind of a weird thing. Like Holden's sister, Lila, is 19, and pretty soon she'll be older than he ever got to be. You know, and so, yeah, it's a continuation, but in a way it's just sort of like holding a candle, you know, for those people. They're, they don't get to live anymore, but of course they're, they're front and center in our minds and in our memories, and we won't forget them, and we won't get over it. You know, we'll just continue to exist in a way that honors them, hopefully, and I didn't want to just not do anything about it. You know, like I didn't want Holden's death to be for nothing. And it's been really painful to write this book. Uh, it's really painful to think about what happened with Holden and how maybe things could have been different. And I think about all the families that continue to wrestle. And by the way, grief happens, you know, before people die. It happens when you have a, a family member and they're out and you don't know what they're doing and you're worried about them. That's grief, you know, and and there's so many of us struggling, and I just want people to know that, um, you know, they're seen and they're understood and those feelings are, are valid. And um, I don't know. I guess that's it. 
Yeah, you said anything but silence. I think that was the way you put it. Anything, anything but silence, which seemed like the seemed like the right way of, of putting. It. Where where can people find find your book, Tara? It's out. It's out today. I know. It's out today. It's available everywhere. I encourage people to support independent bookstores because you know business is rough out there. And um, the if audiobook is more your style, it's on all the audiobook platforms. It's in most libraries now too. Or you can order it directly from the publisher, which is Arsenal Pulp Press. Tara McGuire, uh, thank you so much for uh, for joining me tonight and, and sharing your story and sharing the story of the book. Thank you, Ben. I really appreciate you having me on.